Welcome to the How To Business Show. I am your host, Samuel West, with my co-host team, Dylan Gillison and Matt Wilson. On this episode, we have Steve Daniels. Steve is the co-founder, managing partner, and CFO at Platinum North, a business brokerage and real estate advisory firm located in Destin, Florida. Platinum North serves clients throughout the U.S., providing services in the appraisal, acquisition, and sale of businesses. Steve is a serial entrepreneur, and Platinum North Advisory marks his 11th startup and his re-entry into the real estate and business advisory space after an 18-year stint with the Fortune 500 companies. Steve has held roles in M&A, finance, sales, business development, senior management, and marketing. Steve has a BS in contract law and an MBA in marketing, and he's a current candidate for the Advanced Management Program, AMP, certification from Harvard Business School. Steve has owned and operated companies in many sectors, including healthcare, real estate, hospitality, restaurants, consulting, and advisory. Outside of business, Steve loves anything on the water, specifically sailboats, diving, and exploring. Other hobbies include golf, cigars, books, and the occasional great glass of bourbon. Good deal. Welcome, Steve. Thanks for joining our show. We appreciate it a lot. So, Thanks, Steve. Here, Sam. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's start off. Cheers. Have a little salute here. Cheers. 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 100 years, gentlemen. There we go. Oh, look at that. He's got the nice little brandy cup over there, too. Ooh, Try to keep it empty. <laughs> yeah. That's not that bad. This doesn't have a lot of heat, though. No. It's got a little... um Almost peanut butter, a little bit in it. I know it tastes like that. I taste some like nut notes. Yeah, it's the cinnamon and the apple. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fusion series. Mm, it's definitely simple. Yeah. Mm. Let it get a little air in it. This bad boy's going to be beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us. And, you know, our podcast is, is How To Business. And one of the reasons, you know, we wanted to bring you on here was, you know, how to start a business. And a lot of folks that are soon to get it to want to get in to open up their business or start a business have a lot of questions. And uh, with your experience and your background, uh, I think you could probably help out a lot of folks. So thanks again for coming in and joining us. Absolutely. So I know one of the things I want to kind of want to touch on real quick was, you know, you said that you had a true love of the art of business and, and helping people connect. Can you expand a little bit on that and tell us what that means to you about connecting people in the business force? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been a bit of a serial entrepreneur uh, my whole life since early on and learned uh, the hard way, um, um, PhD in the street, so to speak, uh, on businesses. So um, a lot of the things that I like to do now that over the years, um, I've gotten more informed because when I started, you could have filled the ocean with everything I didn't know. Right. Uh, and some of it was blind luck and I just didn't know any better. And I succeeded where I really shouldn't have. And then over a course of time, I, you know, I got a more full sense of myself, um, which was always a bad thing. Um, and, and thought I knew more than I did as I graduated up the food chain of businesses. Uh, in terms of revenue, employees, and all the regulatory. So one of the things um, that I'm excited about with business brokerage, business advisory, and real estate, and the reason I'm re-entering the entrepreneurial world and leaving the corporate world, because my world's kind of started upside down. I did the entrepreneur thing first, then went corporate, and then leaving corporate to go entrepreneur. And typically, your corporate guys leave about 40, 45 
and they've saved up some money. They've got, you know, a little, you know, nest egg and they want to go start a business. So for me, um, a lot of what we do uh, in general in our space, Sam, and you're, you're the same way. Um, sometimes it's talking people out of going into business um, or they pick a business that they think just because it's a hot market that, oh, I need to get into this business right. without really looking at that picture in totality. And they go in undereducated and underinformed about the space. And then it's just a comedy of errors after that. Right. And so uh, a lot of what we do um, at, at Platinum North and what I endeavor to do is really pressure test um, motivation, mm -hmm. um, pressure test their willingness to learn about the industry that they're entering in or embarking into, or if they're really in it and they know their space very well, um, how pertinent and relevant is the information and hard skill sets they have. Because in our world, as you know, right, it's very dynamic. And the world and the business landscape changes very quickly. Um, your general client, customer, consumer, their attention span is very short. And that's a byproduct of how we market um, in any industry, in any given field. Uh, and we're all consumers of something, right? And we all consume products, buy products. Some of those are uh, motivational um, it might be emotion driven, you know, like a home or a car or a plane or a boat. Um, some of those are aspirational. Um, all of those things are, you can, now you can get into watches and jewelry and jewelry shops. Um, some are, you know, passion plays, you know, want to open a yoga studio, want to open a gym, you know, want to open a local bar. Cause I like to drink and I think I'd be great at it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone wants so, to open so, a restaurant. Yeah. So, so the passion I have really, it, it just comes from um, a standpoint of I've, I've, I've walked in the shoes and, and if I can help anyone, you know, save some of the missteps early on, um, then I've already won. Right. And then we also get clients that come to us that are mid stage or maturing stage of business. And in those situations, that's more of a consulting activity where maybe they're bumping up against growth. Um, and we, you run into this in large corporations all the time. And then they're looking for alternative ways to grow, um, maximize their growth, but grow in a way that the economics still makes sense. Um, because growth for growth sakes isn't any good. Right. Your growth has to be profitable. And if you're growing and your sales are increasing and you're not making profit, you just punched a ticket to cash flow issues. And then you're you know, a few stages away from insolvency. Well, let me ask you this. So you're right. I think we've seen so many times everybody has a passion or a dream and they want to get into business and they think that, you know, they're going to get rich and this is it. You know, I try, I've owned multiple businesses and, and we've won and we've lost and we've had all those trials, right? So let's just bring it back to the very core basics. Let's say I have a business and I want to start and I want to open it. What would be the first thing you would recommend me to do if I want to open up a business? Whether it's e-commerce, commodity-driven, retail, it doesn't matter. Just business in general. What would you recommend? So um, typically the, uh, the avenues most people go down is you can either buy an existing business that's already up and running. You can start a business from scratch um, that's in, in a field that's already established. So you're not having to educate the consumer about a brand new product. Um, or you typically go the franchise route. And 
and you buy a franchise that's basically a business in a box and you're sold, you know, standard operating procedures, you're sold all your market drivers, your metrics, your revenue, your how many square feet you need, how many chillers, coolers, all of that. So in each of those three spaces, the very first thing um, for me, when I sit down with someone who's wanting to buy a business, sell a business, or go into business for themselves, uh, is to really get down to the why. Because no matter what you do, when you start a business, you have to have a greater why. Right. If you don't really know why you got into the business, why you formed it, what specifically with very granular clarity your goals are for the business, your likelihood of success is very low. And it's slow to begin with because the, the statistics really don't lie. I mean, most businesses, you know, about a quarter businesses that start fail within the first two years. About half of the businesses fail within five and about 75% fail between years eight and 10. Mm -hmm. So that's for businesses that theoretically make it out of the gate from a startup or conception. They actually roll in and they develop customers. They develop clients. They grow some revenue. Even those companies, right, where you think you've won because you're three years into a business, don't really make it by yeah. the time you get to the fifth year, seventh year, eighth, fifth year. Yeah. Um, and most businesses, if you think about it, um, that, mo that, that a smaller business person is going to start, it's going to be an, a, a service-based business, a restaurant, a retail outlet, um, people that get into manufacturing, um, big industrial you know, intellectual property, R&D, those people typically came out of a bigger corporation mm. and they were, you know, engineers, designers, R&D people, chemists um, that go out and start their own little compounding labs and these type things. So the first thing um, is to really ask yourself why I want to do this. And you really have to dig down into that question and figure that out. Once you go from there, there's some pitfalls that, um, most everybody falls into, right? Um, one of the weirdest things, which is the easiest thing in the world to do, a lot of people start a business and there's, there's no business plan. And you don't need, you know, a tomb. You don't need a hundred page business plan. Right. Some of the best business plans laid are one pagers. That's right. And That's they're, right. they're cogent, they're salient. And you literally, and, and there's some guys out there, there's not many, but there's a handful of guys creeping around the planet that do one page business plans for large corporations. And they can literally walk you through it and you sit back and like, they got all of that on one page. Mm. So that's a big piece. So the business planning process, um, if you're talking about, okay, what do I need to start a business? Well, I need to know why I want to get in the space and I need to know what's driving me and what's going to keep me in it. Right. Other than just making money because the, the making money part is a byproduct of the processes and the management that you imbibe into the company. It's right. just that simple. People talk about cultures and vision statements and all these platitudes, but culture is just a derivative. It's a byproduct of management. How you manage is the culture that it creates. You don't take a culture and then overlay it in bad management and say, I've got a culture. It just right. doesn't work. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you talk about your kind of non-traditional route, entrepreneur, corporate, you know, back into the, the entrepreneur space. What was your why when you got started? Ah, <laughs> Uh, well, mine was a little bit of survival. My first business, um, was a lotion stand in Honolulu, Hawaii. 
Mm. And I was 17 years old. I know what my why would be with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. And I literally fellows knew nothing about mm-hmm. business. Um, you know, I, I was good at math, but I had never cracked an accounting book. So hold I mean, on. I want to back up real quick. I don't mean to cut you off. A lotion stand. Well, first off, where'd you get lotion? Did you like, where'd you get the lotion product from? So th- this is crazy. So, um, I go to Hawaii with three of my buds, right? Graduation trip. I'm 17. We're supposed to go over for two weeks and do a little surf adventure, you know, but in the back of my mind, I was running away from home. So I took $7,500 that I had saved up with me and one big bag. We got there, three people went back and I stayed. Mm. So I'm in Honolulu, Hawaii, and literally I don't have a place to live. I'm 17. And I go to like one of these little, um, I think it was called like find a roommate places. Literally, it's like in Hawaii was way we're talking about this is in the 80s, like 86, 87. Mm. So they had mixed use way back in the day where you had condos on the top, retail yeah. on the bottom mm-hmm. way back in the day when, when Japan was taking over the world. So at any rate, I went there to a room finder place and literally it was a chalkboard and people are sitting in this little lobby and you put your name up looking for a roommate, you know, male or female. Right. Um, I find this guy, literally his name's Don Johnson. <laughs> I got to live Don with him. Uh, in the eighties, dude, that guy was like famous. wasn't he? Oh yeah. And Don, uh, just to give you a, an image, right. He's uh, kind of a, a big, tall, curly hair, blonde guy, you know, muscled up, yeah. got out of, um, uh, the air force and he got out, he was at Hickam air force base. Um, and he decided to stay in Hawaii, um, when he got out of the air force and, I met him. So he turned out, he was my roommate and he was working as a bartender in this club called the jazz seller. Mm-hmm. And he got me a job as a bar back working with him at this place called the jazz seller, mm-hmm. which was downtown Waikiki. And the guy owned two clubs. He owned another one called Silly's in Pearl Ridge, which was like right. 25, 30 minutes North. Um, and the guy turned out to be um, the old show Magnum PI, um, the helicopter pilot, Roger Mosley owned both of these bars. So that's so that's kind of my, my claim to fame. I was like, okay, this is great. I'm working for the the black dude that flies the helicopter. Yeah, that's <laughs> and Tom so Selleck cool. had a restaurant called the Orchid uh, in Hawaii Kai on the other side. But the long and the short, uh, met Don. We became roommates. I was bar backing, and the security guard was this big Samoan dude named Fa Fa Atuosi Popo. He's big. I played football at UH. Um, his grandmother made lotions. Okay. Right. And, and, you know, and so, you know, we, we talking and hanging out, I'm at the Royal Hawaiian shopping center and there's this kiosk, you know, those little eight yeah. foot by 10 foot little things that fold down. Mm-hmm. And it said, you know, for lease on the kiosk. And I'm like, lotions, kiosk, you know, I like the, I mean, and this yeah. is literally right off the beach, right? Haley Kalani hotels, not, not far right. from there. So anyway, I was like, so far, can I get those uh, lotions? Right. Um, and he said, uh, yeah, you know, he's like, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take care of you, Holly boy. Um, so the rent on the kiosk was $2,000 a month. I had a grand total of $7,500. This was my business plan. <laughs> yeah. You better make it work quick. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I could do this. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll bar back at night, you know, I'll work the lotion stand in the daytime. You know, all I need is some lotion. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it had its own little cash register and a little plug yeah. in. And I'm thinking, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll like in my mind, I was thinking all I have to pay for is the kiosk, right? right. That was literally it. So 
Um, I got, you know, we got some little bottles and I did the little thing and it was, you know, called Waikiki Aloy and it's all cool. And this was mostly Japanese tourists at the time, right? Because they spent four to one over California tourists. So I I made these little, um, little scripts in Japanese, you know, little sales scripts. And it had little Kyoko, my girlfriend's roommate at Chaminade, do the Japanese. So when they came up. I could go, you know, I had like, uh, right. I I, I get a little bit of Japanese under my belt, you know, I'm tan. I got the long surfer hair, you know, I look like golden bronze back in the day. What more do you need? uh, So that's how it started. So literally I knew nothing about taxes. I knew nothing about leases. I didn't even know what a quarterly tax payment was. I didn't even make any quarterly tax payments. Like I don't think the entire first year. I didn't have any accounting software. I just knew this is what I sold and this is how much cash was left over in the register at the end of the day. Did you start a business like you formed a, did you form a corporation back then or did you just start selling it? Sam, I didn't do anything. Literally. Wow. I I had a name on it. This is how ignorant I was at the time. Uh, That's one of those where, you know, God was just looking out for me. Um, but you know, I was right in between Louis Vuitton and Coco Chanel at the Royal Hawaiian Shopping Center. So it was oh, a wow. great spot, great traffic. But anyway, that started, you know, it, you know, kind of took off really like from day one. Um, and then I ended up getting a beach chair and umbrella, um, concession at the Hala Kalani had that going. Then I got these tri bikes, you know, bought these tri bikes that dudes ride around taxis at night with all the drunk people. Yep. Um, and I was doing all of that and still, you know, bar backing and bartending at night, you know, at and the club. Sleeping like three and hours. And that's it. Three that or four was hours. It. Um, you know, but the, the funny thing is, is I'll bring this home quickly. Um, so I started that business and of course fell in love with my girlfriend. She was at Chaminade. I was at UH. Uh, and she was four years older than I was. So, fast forward, you know, a few years in, I got this business. I got, I don't know, I'm thinking I was probably doing, you know, seven, six, seven thousand dollars a week, you know, at 17, 18. That's pretty good. Um, That's great. Back in the eighties, you know? Yeah, um, and, and then, then the concession came in and then that was bringing in another 3,500, four grand a month right. on the, you know, on, on, cause I just got a cut for doing all the labor right. on that. But, you know, I was like, I was putting, you know, five or six grand, you know, in my pocket every month, you know, at 17, 18, thought I was the richest man in the world. Right. Absolutely. No worries. Um, so long and short of it. Um, my girlfriend is going on to law school and she's from California. She's going to Stanford. She gets accepted. She's going headed to Santa Clara, um, you know, and, and I'm puppy, puppy dog loved. Yeah. And she's like, you know, move to California, you know, and I'm like, no, I've got, I've got my business, you know, I'm, yeah. I, I get out on the weekends, we do bonfires, Kahlua pig, you know, loud, loud, we, we would just have a blast. Uh, she leaves and then I'm, you know, it took me about uh, five months and finally I was like, okay, I'm going to move to California. I'm mm-hmm. selling. Yeah. And, and, and today is comical, right? Because yeah. I did no valuation. I didn't know what the business was worth, had no clue. The guy that I rented the kiosk from looked at like, you know, he said, you know, what are you doing? He's like, you got financials? It's like, no. Uh, it's like, I got, you know, I've got all the register receipts. I can, you know, I can show you what I'm selling. And so he stole it from me, right? right. I think I, I sold that for like 45 grand. It was probably worth 200 all oh, day long. Wow. Right. I, I mean, but I did, I had no clue. I didn't know. And I was thinking that's all the money in the world at the time. Right. I was like, yeah, 20, 
19, 20 years old. You know, so it it just goes to show you, I made all of the mistakes that people make um, at 17 and they make them at 25 or 35 or 45, not being adequately capitalized. I wasn't not knowing the business. I didn't not having a clue why I was doing it other than, hell, I, th- I hope this works. Yeah. Uh, what other mistakes? I didn't know how to read a lease, didn't know the terms and conditions, didn't really know what I was signing up for, mm. didn't make my quarterly estimated tax payments. So, of course, you guys know that came back to haunt yeah. me. Yeah. Um, um, you know, Hawaii and everybody else was looking for their money. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guarantee it. Did you? Obviously, you paid them back, right? You got through all that? You don't have yeah. to answer that. Luckily, I had enough, I, luckily, yeah, I had yeah. enough money uh, that, yeah. that made it all work. But I, I, I made every um, dumbass decision you could make. And somehow, just by the grace of God, I got out of there alive and, you know, did well. So it was one of those cases where you think you're good at something right. and you're just really a happy idiot. You're a lucky idiot. And that's mm-hmm. basically what I was. <laughs> So that's kind of how it started. Um, that's a great you, you story. Know, that was my that very, very first business. So um, let me ask you this. So you've got, all right, so you got to have your why. We had to establish that. Obviously, you want to know what, what kind of sector you want to go into, three sectors of franchise business, your, your own self, or a corporation kind of type. Is that right, those three? Yes. Out of those three, after you determine that, and you kind of start your business plan, right? And like you said, a business plan needs to be just, it could be a one-pager. It could be really, really simple, Right. If somebody's going for, I guess before I get into that question, all right, so I've got what I want. What the next steps do I do? do so, um, so Sam, today um, you've got different types of structures for a business okay. uh, as far as operating entities and tax. So your vanilla, plain Jane, super simple is a sole proprietorship, okay. which is just you. You don't do anything uh, other than get a DBA. So it's, you know, Sam Gillison, DBA, doing business as you do the company, um, you sell, you buy, um, you put everything on a Schedule C at the end of the year, and all the profits and losses pass through to you, mm-hmm. um, which is super simple. A lot of people do that with it, like home-based businesses. So a DBA um, is like doing business as, doing and business then as. what's the Schedule C? Um, that's just an um, um, IRS tax form. So, gotcha. in, so when you do your normal 1040 and you file out, you have all these schedules for other types of income and a sole proprietorship, basically everything that happened in that sole proprietorship would be reflected in the schedule C. So I made a hundred thousand dollars. It cost me 75,000 in expenses. I have net, net profit of 25,000 and that's what your tax basis is going to be on. Perfect. So I don't like those um, for the biggest reason is that um, when you are a sole proprietor, all of your personal assets are at risk. So if anything were to happen inside the company and you're a sole proprietor, there is no corporate veil. There is no LLCS, corporate C corp, corporation, separate entity to go through. Mm-hmm. They can go right after you. They can get judgments on your home, your cars, all your accounts, your just about everything other than some retirement accounts, depending on how those are shielded. So, um, so you have an, a sole proprietorship, then you've got an LLC, limited liability company, corporation. Um, and inside of that, you get professional partnerships like law firms, accounting firms, uh, medical practices. Uh, and an LLC um, is basically, it's a separate entity. So if I want to do an LLC to start my business, 
uh, I would say, okay, I am Steve and I own this business, quote unquote, I'm starting it, but I'm creating an entity and the entity like Platinum North is the brokerage firm. So it is its own entity. It, it, so it's its own legal body. It's its own taxing body, but it needs management, somebody to make a decision for it because mm -hmm. it can't speak for itself. So that's where your membership in an LLC, a limited liability corporation partnership, that's where you would be, you could be a single member if you own it individually. Uh, if you own partners, you're going to have members. Uh, another good thing about an LLC is that it does give you protection from liability. Uh, if something were to happen, you get a product lawsuit. You know, somebody who's driving your mm -hmm. truck that's putting in blinds, kills somebody, you know, and he's drunk, you know, and they won't get punitive and compensatory damages depending on the state. Right. Then, you know, it, it, they can only go after the LLC. And then if you're a member, only your contributions into the LLC. So right. they can't come after you for more than you put in. Right. Um, so that's what a, a, an LLC looks like. An LLC um, can also be, you can be an LLC, but take a tax status of an S-Corp. Mm -hmm. um, so if you want to be a, a corporation, the biggest difference between an S-Corp and an LLC, an LLC uh, can have an infinite number of members or partners. Uh, S-Corps is limited to 100. So you only get 100, you cap it. Um, the tax entity for an S-Corp is the same. It, it passes through, um, but instead of a, a Schedule C, it's, it's a K-1. And you'll get your K-1 at the end of the year, which is basically the same thing. All profits and losses pass through. If you have multiple members, then you get a, your proportionate share of the taxes or the losses for the entity, the LLC. So um, that's probably what you see by and large for most small companies um, that are not into manufacturing or R&D. Right. right. Or big, you know, transportation companies. Right. Uh, if you get into uh, manufacturing, um, you know, there's OSHA, ISOs, there's there's a ton of regulatory bodies that are over top of that. And in those cases, it really makes sense to be an S corp or a C corp. And if you're really big or planning to be really big or planning to go public, you need to be a C corp because you can't take an LLC public. What about an Inc? Like an incorporate? Yeah. And so, uh, well, your, 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 your S corp is by its name is going to be an Inc as a corporation. C corp is going to be the biggest difference there is, you know, when you get into a C corp, you have corporate taxes that sit on the top. So let's say you made $10 million as a corporation mm -hmm. after it was all said and done, the corporation is going to pay whatever the nominal rate is for the corporate tax. And then as you, as a shareholder, a board member, you know, whatever else you're calling yourself, you're going to get paid money and then you're going to pay taxes on it additionally too. That's why they call it double taxation. Right. And that's why a lot of small companies don't form C corporations. They prefer an LLC or an S corp because you, you don't pay double tax, but like in an LLC, you basically have to pay your social security tax, right? Mm -hmm. Normally, like if you have a job, you'll see it's about 15.4, 15.5%. The, com the company will pay 50% and you pay and that, that goes up to, I think it's like 140000 now. Um, and then over 140000 it caps out. You don't pay any more SSN. Gotcha. So, yeah. so, so the biggest difference there is, is just, um, you know, really accounting. Um, you can do a little more things with like um, defined benefit programs and some other stuff with S-Corps. Um, but unless you have a, you plan on having a large number of employees, let's say 25 or 30 employees, uh, LLC really, it, it works. Um, 
And there are different types of states. Wyoming's a good one. Nevada used to be, it's getting a little hairy. Delaware's the most famous, Delaware LLCs, mm-hmm. um, people incorporating in Delaware. Those are because those states have been around a long time. There's a lot of precedent law. So they've seen a lot of cases. So that's why a lot of people go. And the states are friendly to businesses. So for liability reasons, um, if you have, you know, jurisdiction and a contract, you're, it's going to be in a, fr- a friendly state for you. So like, let's not, say, for not, example, not so if you were like open or starting an e-commerce platform or s- something that didn't require bricks and mortar, then you would recommend using one of those states. But obviously, if you have a bricks and mortar, could you still use one of those states and still open up? As a retail sure. absolutely. Yeah, you can. And, and the cool thing is, is um, um, it's kind of like a, a Russian nesting box, right? So depending on, and I've, I've had different businesses going at the same time. Um, so different types of businesses going at the same time. Right. So if you're like, if, if you're going to be in real estate or you're going to own real estate, uh, an independent singular LLC is a good way to go. So right. if like I own my properties, through one LLC. And so all of my real estate is just in one LLC. And so all the liability and everything else just sits there. And with real estate, it works for real property. Mm-hmm. Um, it, if you're doing um, an e-commerce business, um, it doesn't really um, matter. Um, you know, I like you know states to form LLCs where the costs are low. Um, cause like in an LLC, you don't have to keep books, minutes, and records like you do in a, an S corp or a C corp. Although I say you should yep. <laughs> always, because the better your paperwork, the better your communication. Yeah. And then eventually you always have to look down the road when you start a business, the, the, the nature and the, the, the journey that the business goes on because hmm. the business that you start, you know, if you're successful or even moderately successful, wildly successful, it's going to grow. And so it's going to mature just like a child does. So that child at five is different at 10. It's different at 15. It's definitely different at 20. Your business is going to be that way. So you have to really think about it in dynamic terms. You, like when you do your business planning process and you think about what you want this business to become, it's just like raising a child, right? Mm-hmm. In this case, the LLC or the company is the baby. And you're just trying to do all you can to make sure you raise the greatest kid ever. Right. <laughs> or build the greatest business. That's a good analogy. But that business will change. Yeah. Um, um, a big problem that people run into when they start a business is the, um, they, they, they're inadequately prepared financially. Um, they have not run uh, business models or performers. Um, they haven't modeled the business out. And when you don't do that, you're, you don't know when trouble's coming. And you probably don't know you're in trouble until it's too late. Mm. And so you can't take You can't take any course corrections. Right. So one of the things when you start a business um, that I always encourage people to do, um, and if they can't do it, hire someone, doesn't matter. Look at your business, rip it apart. Look at the economic model. The economic model drives the business model, not the other way around. You don't come up with a business model and then land on the seashore of economics. Yeah. Doesn't work that way. That was a question. Economics yeah. drive what type of business you can run. Yeah. Not yeah. wish to run or hope to run. Right. And mm-hmm. the only way you know through that is financial modeling, revenue forecasting, and then where you you look at worst case scenario, most likely scenario, and best. So you've got three models that should layer on each other when you start a business or run a business. 
and those should be updated and reviewed on an annual basis, you know, if not quarterly. Hey, Steve, one question that, that I had, you know, so you talk about all these different, you know, structures and, um, you know, types of business, you know, how do you recommend that people, you know, either who do they consult with or what information is best to consider in order to determine what type uh, or formation of business that they should start? So, um, you know, the, the, the holy trinity in, in business, you know, your, your CPA, you got to have them, right? Your attorney and your banker. Mm. You got to have all three. Um, there are, you know, there's a panoply of different types of consultants, subject matter experts, uh, depending on what industry you're in, what field you're in. Um, you know, an underutilized resource uh, for people that, you know, are starting, you know, and they're starting up their business on a budget. Hopefully everyone is. Even if you had a ton of money to throw away, why would you throw it away? And if you could throw it away, why not put it in the highest and best use and let someone actually benefit from it? Yeah. So um, those three counterparties, if you will, uh, are critical to start a business and operate and run a business. But there are, you think about, you know, there's, there's 10,000 people every day turning 65. And if you look at the useful life and the quality of life, the cognitive capabilities, physical capabilities of that generation of people turning 65, they probably have another 25 years of high productivity. You know, not the whole demographic, but a good swath. Right. And they're looking for people. I mean, some of the best advice I've gotten and continue to get um, are from guys that I do annual meetings with, you know, reunion meetings from almost every company I've been with, with ex-CEOs, you know, ex-board members. And we, you know, and they're all in their seventies, you know, and I'm the young cat in the room in my fifties. Right. Mm -hmm. And and they were all my bosses back in the day. And for some reason, they're kind enough to invite me every year, come down and play golf and right. hang out and go on trips. And they, they, they will have forgotten more information than I'll probably learn in a lifetime. Mm. And so when you go into business, it's important. Um, you can call them, you know, mentors, you can call them um, advisors, um, you can call, you know, a, a board, if you wanted to, you, there, there are there, these are people that you might not even know, but you can reach out to AARP, you can reach out to retiredprofessionals.gov, there's a, there's a bunch of sites you can go to, and you can find really good quality people that will give you a beautiful education for nothing. They don't want any money, they don't need any money. They just want to feel useful. And um, particularly when you're young uh, um, in your entrepreneurial career, not your age, but you haven't done it before, you know, you, you need, you, you need to bridge the gap. You need, you need the generations beyond you and the generations behind you to be relevant in the now. You know, because, it's because funny you say that most people don't do. Right. You know, we see that in commercial real estate. And, and yeah. what I mean is, we have a really big gap in that, you know, we've got a lot of folks that are, I'd say over 60 years old in the commercial real estate business. And then we have a lot of, a lot of folks that are probably under the age of 25 and 30 years old. We had that, like that big gap between 30 and 60, because what happened was back in when, when the recession hit in 07, 08, 09, commercial real estate took the biggest hit. And so everybody found different careers. So we have this big gap in between there. I mean, 
luckily I'm in that gap. We kind of, we worked through it. You know what I mean? But at the same token, you know, we didn't have that consecutive mentorship that was coming along that we're getting it. And so we're getting a really big, the, the fall offs in commercial real estate, you know, and then we're getting the tech driven stuff that we're getting now too, as well. Just on a side note, you know, we talk about gaps. We talk about, you know, having mentorships, you know, if you're going to start a business, and then this is kind of one of the things I want to talk to about too as well as I kind of leeway into it. You know, you've been around a lot of really successful people. You've met a lot of successful people from CEOs, entrepreneurs, billionaires, Steve. You know what I mean? Uh, you're very well connected. What do you think, can you name like one or two characteristics that you think that sets them apart from other people? Uh, yeah, it's one of those, it's, it's, it's trying to identify like the secret sauce in Coke, right? right. Um, it, it, it's, it's there. And, and sometimes it's, uh, it's, it's, it's almost a harmonic thing, right? You can feel people's energy, um, when you meet them. Yeah. Um, some people just, you know, their aura, if you will, it's just like, wow, you know, and there's all different types of levels, right? We all have, our own megawatt, you know, power plant inside of us, right? And then even scientifically, you have you have a harmonics, you have a vibration, you have hertz right. that you can you know, I can wire your body up, and I can show you what hertz you're modulating at, right? So it's not like a, a voodoo thing; it's, right. it's a real. Thing. We're one big electrical current. Um, so some of the guys, I mean, there's guys like um, the, you know, there's a couple guys I've played golf with, um, uh, like Bill Doray. He's God, he's, he's massive. He, he's the only single person individual to take on Chevron in a lawsuit, Chevron global and win. Oh, right. He's a billionaire. Yeah. Uh, and he did it on principle. Not, I mean, so he spent $65 million in legal fees of his own money to prove a point. And they were one of his largest clients because Bill's company builds all the stuff that goes under the oceans. Oh, right. Okay. So anything that's down in an ocean or a, a oil well, or the, the grid that you're piping oil all across this country yeah. and all the others, well, door construction, that's, that's what they did. Wow. So, and it was all about some land he bought Louisiana on a hunting preserve that was like 6,500 acres and Chevron had polluted the site and they didn't want to do a cleanup and he took them to court. Even though, they, even though they were his customer, really, when you think about yes. it. Yeah. His third largest customer. Oh, wow. His third yes. largest customer. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. Chevron's your third yeah. You need me. Customer. I don't need you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. So, but anyway, and so Bill's got, he's a you know, little guy, still in shapes. He's still at least 75, 76, plays golf three times a week, works out every day. But, um, you know, the X factor in, in him um, Scott Floor is another guy that, you know, is great. Um, you know, just, just great presence. They, 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 they were great at threading the needle by exuding great leadership. They didn't need to be the smartest guy in the room, but they were extraordinarily curious and they had a great way of asking very pointed questions. And if you think about it, right, the, the value of a person, if you really, if you put a whole bunch of people in a room, mm -hmm. the really the most valuable people in that room where, where you're starting a business or operating an NGO or a nonprofit, it's the people that can ask the most salient questions. They see everything. They're not, they introduce the questions that matter. 
not the chatter. Mm-hmm. You know, like, a lot of people have, they have answers, they chatter, yeah. but it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So I, one thing that I have found is that I don't know if it's an innate ability or if it's, you know, just experiential knowledge over time or just because they're so curious, they're well-read, they're very broad. They're, you know, they're, they're really not, you know, specialists, they're generalists. And that general curiosity of lots of things lead them down the road where they can engage um, people where they are, but more importantly, however their brain works and however they've mastered the art of asking good questions um, pushes the ball forward, right? right? They, they, they look at things in a way that other people don't. And the questions basically bring an environment that doesn't yet exist into the now. And if you mm-hmm. think about running a business, that's what it is. You're, you're, it's like, it's, if you're in the military and you're planning a strategy, right? You're thinking about all of these things that have to happen for this, you know, battle to work in theater and for us to come out on the other side. Mm-hmm. That's what really good questioning is. So let me ask you this. So just kind of on that topic, cause I love this topic anyways. So let's take Elon Musk, right? You know, you, you talk about an innovator and what he's doing, you know, whether you like him or you don't like him. I mean, the guy's probably 50 years ahead of everybody else as far as his imagination and what he's doing, right? An innovator. You know, the thing that you look at when you're starting a business, is it, you know, unless you invent or generate something that is just a big necessity for human development or human need, right? Uh, you know, is it best to be the first out to market or is it, do you think it's best to, sit back, wait, and be second to market? I mean, what's your thoughts on the coming to market and getting out there and educating your customer? All right. I'm going to put my financial hat on. (laughs) Uh, I got you the green visor. Hang on. (laughs) um, So here's the thing. I'm right. So in any industry or business, you have incumbents, Mm -hmm. right? That, you know, have already chopped up market share. And depending on what industry you look at, that share market globally, regionally, nationally has been aggregated, right? And so a handful of companies own the bulk of the market share. Uh, So example, uh, in the world of medical devices, the field that I was just leaving, right? Four companies own 80% of all of orthopedics on the planet earth, just four. So that means every other company formed on planet earth is fighting over 20%. Jeez. That's it. So four companies, and then, of course, you look at all the med device companies, there's a ton of them, right? Yeah. That's just one. And media is the same way. There's there's three, maybe four companies that own all not, 90% of all world media. That's internet, radio, TV, everything. It's only four companies. Hmm. They're all Russian nesting boxes. You see their labels and their brands, but they're all owned by four companies. It's kind of like the old business. (laughs) So when you talk about being first to market, um, and Elon Musk is an interesting example. He, and this is my financial hat, right? You can go and be first to market if you have lots of cash. If you have lots of money and you've already made it and you don't need to work for a living, first to market is great, right? It's, It's, you know, because you think about it, you have to persuade all of your potential customers and then society in general that what you're doing 
is relevant and that you're actually moving the ball forward and you're really solving a problem, right? You're not creating a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. And when you do something new, that's how most people look at it, right? Like right now, I'll give you an example. First to market, right? This is great. Internet's 40 years old. And people think, oh, God, if I was only around in the 90s, it'd have been great. Well, look, inter- so, so think about from 1980 to 1990, the internet existed, but it was very nascent. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the mm-hmm. 90s, from 90 to 99, um, it was somewhat relevant, but it was not entrenched in society. It was still, you know, some people had a DX250 and yeah. dial up connection and had the old, you know, but, you know, so that was all through the 90s, right? And then we went through the dot com bust. Because just basically it was like, oh, bourbon.com, that's got to be it. That's the yeah. one. That's a billion-dollar company, right? So so if you take the 80s and 90s out, your internet's only been around 20 years, okay? And so we're already at a turning in the internet. So the 20 years that the internet has been around, it's permeated all industries, right? So there's, there's 11 industries in the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones, right? Different industrials, financial right. cyclicals, transportation. Every single one has been hit by the IoT, Internet of Things. Um, so, you know, electricity has been around 120 years. Yeah. Like, like electricity. TV has been around 70 years. Not- right? so we're, 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 we're in the nascency, right? Yeah. So a first mover business right now, okay, uh, DeFi, Web 3.0. So there, that's a whole nother extension that's going to take the internet as we know it today and it's going to obsolesce what we know is the internet right what we're doing right now and just now all is about to change Mm. and web 3.0 is going to change everything again is that when you say web 3.0 is that like the metaverse and we're talking about stuff like that is that i I don't never heard of decentralized finance um DeFi. Um, if you look at just um, a, a population of occupations, most of your ta- most talented engineers that built the Googles, that built yeah. the Amazons, that built Microsoft are all migrating into engineering and developing in Web 3.0. Okay. So it's, you know, .eth, right? So it's, 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 a, it's instead of a, the .com, you're going to have a different end. But basically that thing's being set up and wired up for decentralized finance um, instantaneous, um, financial transactions. Um, it's taking the repositories of information, like in the old days when we talked about, Hey, let's, you know, we're going to scan the library of Congress and then everything's going to be on. Well, the next generation of that, when you get into web 3.0, it's completely different. Now you're talking about getting rid of it. You're so, so for real estate, for example, right. So a DeFi app that's going to be coming down the road is going to basically eliminate title companies. And so you're going to see title companies, as we know them, either go out of business or adapt. Because soon, all of those titles that have been filed sitting in all the courthouses across the the world, those are all going to be put on a DeFi'd app. And they're going to be a part of a blockchain inside of a smart contract. And so you won't need, so so your title will be verified in the blockchain and Web 3.0. And it, it's cradle to grave. It's 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 it, it has all the information. So that if in that, that scenario, so then so let's so let's say that's right. So that in that scenario, all right. Let's just take title title companies for example. Let's, they go into the DeFi network. You still need an attorney to look over the closing statements and documentations, right? Or will it do it automatically? 
smart contracts already embedded. Yeah. So once you do the validation, right. so you got third party trust, just like you buy something on Amazon through a third party. Yeah. You've got a, a, a person that covers the transaction inside of it. Well, when you get into title and you get into legal, well, once I put it into a smart contract, now I've created a box, a lock box. So everything for that title from now until it, you know, into eternity is not going to change. It's the only thing that's going to change is someone else with a smart contract will buy that. Then it'll be transferred from one smart contract to the other inside the blockchain and the chain never ends. And it always goes. So you'll be able to see right back from the origins, alpha to omega, where the title came in and its original existence and where it goes. And you'll be able to do it in seconds. Oh, wow. I can think of a couple of title companies we've dealt with <laughs> recently that I can't wait for that yeah. to happen to. Dude, I mean, this is a little <laughs> outweigh, but, 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 but what I'm saying first to market to your question, first to market, um, in our, the timeline we live in now, disruptive technologies um, take place. So they're, they're born, they mature, and they die more and more quickly. Right. Right. So when you're in a phase of um, global technological advancement, like we have been and will continue to be, um, things change far, I mean, they're, they, they change faster than we can keep up with. And I say that in a business context, me, so that you know, you used to could start a business and have a predictable curve yes. of how long the business was, all of those good things. Well, as we move into the future, you really have to build dynamic business models. You can't be really tied to what you think your business is going to be because you don't know what changes, societal changes, um, tokenomics, you know, when we start talking about tokens and exchange and right. stable coins and all, all, these things aren't going away, right? I mean, people think, oh, that'll never happen. You got a lot of junk that sits out there, but in reality, those things are just, they're like, um, crypto is kind of like the word processor versus the typewriter, right? You had a typewriter and everybody had typewriters and all, and you had NCR paper and you had all that stuff back in the old day. Then you went to a word processor and then, oh boy, that was the next one. Then you went to, oh God, didn't Microsoft created this thing called Microsoft Word, right? right? And now it's so, it's so, so information, um, how you transact business um, and then the, the, the flow of currency and transactions and, and how you trace and track the, the chain of custody of transactions will continue to evolve and change and speed up. And as that happens, um, you know, whatever business you're in, if you're transacting in something called commerce, it has to be fairly dynamic. Right. Yeah. I mean, do you have an opinion on how someone that's starting a business today in a quickly and even quicker potential evolving, you know, society can almost future proof um, that, you know, their business when it comes to, you know, how fast things have changed recently and where they're headed. That would be great. <laughs> um, he would be talking to us. Yeah. I would not give it to you. I would, yeah. I would, I, I would sell it on the internet. Yeah. Uh, I would send you to, Hey, buy this idea. Um, <laughs> um, as close as you can come is, is, is this, um, if you enter a business um, and you enter it out of, uh, out of the philosophy, I would do this for free mm -hmm. kind of deal yeah. um, where it's like, uh, it's a passion and, and I love it. 
And if I can just wake up and break even doing this, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, more than likely your passion is going to attract more business than you need. It, mm-hmm. it really, you know, it really will. Yeah. It's just at some point, right. Passion runs up against reality and hours in the day. Yeah. And, you know, and eventually, even if you're the greatest artist in the world, you know, like a comedian, if you have to be funny all the time, because that's what you get paid to do. Yeah. But you love when you started, you just love telling jokes and you love the stage. Um, then it becomes more of a burden, right? Mm-hmm. So future proofing a business, the best thing you can do is run financial models. And when you run it and you say worst case scenario, financial model, you run the economics and then you do your, you know, most likely and you do your best case. Mm-hmm. If you look at it and you say, okay, worst case scenario, here's where I am. I'm starting here. Here's, here's three years from now. Would you still want to be in that business in your worst case model three years from starting it? Right. Mm-hmm. Cause that's a really telling answer that only you and the guy in the mirror looking back at you can answer. Yeah. Right. Cause if you say, um, I've got, you know, $500,000, I'm going to go invest it and start a business. And after three years, I'm going to be at my worst case scenario numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Which is going to tell you what I, you know, all like, this is like, this is Armageddon yeah. in my opinion. Right. And can I do it for three years? And then if the answer is still yes, then okay, great. All right. right. So, so you're good. Now, if, if you, if you get that far, then you start to figure out, okay, how will I address the revenue shortfalls? or the issues in the business to get it from worst case to most likely case, yeah. right? Because at most likely case, right? Same business, just different margins, different customer, different um, price point, um, but you have a number. And then best case, you got another number. So like if you think median, median, and mode, you get that just general statistics, mm-hmm. that blending of the three, right? will probably get you close as long as your business comps are solid, right? Meaning that if you're going into a space that someone's already into, you should be able to, and it should be, you know, requisite, you should be required um, to start your business to do this, go out and go find real world examples of the three burger joints that are your best case, your most likely, and your worst. Yeah. They're all in the same business and they're all doing three things, right? Uh, they're all arriving at three different endpoints doing the exact same thing. And that will help you because what that will do is it will make this, you know, stuff you can't touch. It'll yeah. make it real. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you go in and you find out. And then in most likely there's a great book called, um, you know, you know, buy rather than build, mm-hmm. um, which is it, which is a, basically a case study on why, you should just go buy a business, not start a business. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. What's because interesting out of those three, I can go find the third guy yeah. that's in the worst mm-hmm. and I can go buy his business and make it better and already know he's already there. And now I can go. Right. Yeah. And I don't have to wait three years to figure out if I, am I going to be down there on the worst case scenario? Right. So a lot of times I'll tell people, um, have you really investigated just looking at buying a business, mm-hmm. right? Something that's already out there in a right. space that you want to be in versus you just want to manufacture or conjure something out of thin air. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, uh, uh, researching and buying versus build, like what would you suggest 
someone that is wanting to start to do the research? Like, what are the, how do they go about doing that? You know, do you, do you just jump on the computer and Google or do you pick up the phone and call people? What questions they ask? Like, like what's yeah. the best, what's the best way to start? Um, I'll tell you a couple of businesses that I started. Um, and this is, you know, there's some internet involved and everything else. Uh, you, you can, the, the problem about with, with, with internet and Google is that, you know, it, it, it in, in theory, it democratizes information, right? It makes information accessible to everyone. But what people, you know, their, their fatal mistake is taking information or facts and turning it into knowledge, mm. right? I, I can Google everything right now on quantum physics. Right. I, I, mean, I mean, like, yeah, you, uh, you want to answer that quantum physics? Yeah, I got that. Hold on a second. Right. There it is. <laughs> now I'll give you that. And now, you know, is that information or is that knowledge? Mm-hmm. And, and then even more importantly, is it knowledge or is it wisdom? Yeah. Right. If I'm going to get paid in two coins, one's money and one's knowledge, I'm going to take the knowledge first. Right. Because right. if I'm knowledgeable, I can repeat it. Mm-hmm. Right. If you give me some money, you can take it away. And if I didn't know how to make it, it's probably not going to stay with me very long. So once you, once you, you know, narrow your field of view on, on the industry or business that you want to get involved in, then go do what every business owner always needs to do. Go shake hands, go knock on doors, go meet people. Mm. There's not, there's nothing you can ever do that's going to replace just the sheer ability um, and skill set, hard skill set of tenacity. Right. And tenacity is I'm going out and I'm going to go meet people that actually do this. I'm going to, you know, take my pride and my ego down and I'm actually going to say, I need help. I would like to talk to you about your business. Um, I'm thinking about getting into something like this or buying this type of a business. And before I make major mistakes and put my family at risk and take my kids out of school, um, you know, can I buy you lunch and will you spend 30 minutes with me and talk to me? Right. Let me ask you this. If you can do that, you're probably already well on your way of running a good business. (laughs) If that scares you and you can't do it, don't go into business. Just yeah. don't do it. Yep. Yeah. You gotta be your, you, you've got to be your number one people connector. That's right. I agree 1,000%. So let me ask you a question about business. So we talk a lot about the internet. We talk about the standard ways of starting a business. Now we're starting to see these NFTs, these metaverses, buying, buying real estate. Like someone spent $450,000 to be Snoop Dogg's neighbor in the metaverse, right? You know? So we're going to start seeing businesses in the metaverse and people setting up shops in there. What's your thoughts on that? And do you think that's kind of where the future is going? All right. I'm going to do a disclaimer. Okay. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I, I, I'm not an, an, you know, NFT non-fungible token yeah. guy. Um, right. But I did sleep in the Holiday Inn Express. That's right. Um, <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, um, the way I look at business and I look at the metaverse and I look at NFTs, uh, fractionalized ownership of assets. And that's really what you're talking about. The, the, what people, I think you always have to give people a primer. If, if you can't give someone an example of something, then when you talk to them about something, they'll do this and they don't understand a word you're saying. That's right. Yes. Right? So if you don't, it goes back to my whole thing. If you don't connect the dots, if you, ta- if you can't take the complex and make it simple, then get somebody who can. 
by asking the right questions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, it's funny, right? It's 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 so funny how like these same little things kind of keep coming back, no matter what you call it or where you are or what evolution of technology or commerce is existing. Um, you know, like metaverse. So think about it this way. Um, you can think about in, in my mind's eye when I look at NFTs. Okay. Okay, exactly. Uh, an NFT is designed to transact um, ownership in something with a coin that is backed by a group of people that share in supply and demand of a coin. Mm. It's not money. It's not currency as right. we know it. Right. It doesn't fluctuate as far as it's not it, it's not pegged to the U.S. dollar. Every currency in the world's pegged to the U.S. dollar. U.S. dollar is the global reserve currency. All um, petrodollars are in U.S. dollars. Mm -hmm. That means all oil in the world is traded in dollars. Um, and all loans, by and large, are made in dollars. Yeah. Country to country or, you know, big, you know, private equity firms on down. And there's a reason for that, um, you know, and it has to do with, you know, currency volatility and devaluation and these things. So an NFT in the metaverse. So if you think about the metaverse is like, let's call the metaverse like a world's fair or the metaverse is Disney world. Right. Okay. So everyone's probably, if you got kids, you took them down to Orlando or you went to Anaheim, you've been to Disney. So if you went to Disney world, right. And you, you bought a ticket, if you're a Florida resident, you got a discount, you know, you stayed at one of the hotels, right. you know, you went, you went to Epcot, you, you went out to the cool new one, you know, the avatar, which is beautiful. Um, and you're in a metaverse that just, it's, it's a physical representation of a fantasical world, right? You're, you're going to fantasy land and inside of that fantasy land, people are exchanging money for things. Now, when you get to Disney, there's no cash, right? You get the Disney card, That's right. you get the little, little, little reader and the RFID mm -hmm. to track your kids. So all intents and purposes, that is a facsimile of the metaverse in real life. So you're going there for one reason. You want to be entertained. You want the fantasy. You want the Disney breakfast. You want to do the rides. You want to stay at the hotel. You want all the stuff. The metaverse is no different. It's just a, it's just a virtual representation of Disney World. And so is that real? Yeah, because anything that someone is willing to pay for is real. Mm -hmm. Right. We, you, you can argue about like the moniker or what you want to call it. But at the end of the day, I get a Disney world. I know it's not real. I know a cheeseburger doesn't cost $29. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I know it's $10,000 for, you know, four days. Yeah. Um, that makes no sense. None yeah. that you talk about stupid. Um, but you know, people go and you do yeah. it. And I've taken the family and the kids and you know, so yeah. So the metaverse, yes. The question is, um, there's a certain adoption rate and a, a demographic that's more quickly adopting that and they understand it. Um, just like NFTs or tokenomics, where you're talking about all an NFT is a representation of token in an economic world that rests inside of its own little universe. Right. Right. So it's 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 basically air gapping technology so you can't get hacked, right? If you're at Fort Meade or someplace mm -hmm. where you know, NSA where they don't want any, any waves coming in. Yeah. That's what NFTs are. And that's what, um, uh, the metaverse is. So yes. Can you form a business in the metaverse? Yes. 
Can you offer services in a metaverse? Yes. The question will be the incumbent players um, like Amazon, who's going to be your third party trusted source for the metaverse, right? right? So obviously Facebook is doing it. Obviously some realty companies are doing it like um, EXP. Um, those people go in, they volunteer their information and they transact business and they do that with the full acknowledgement that they're in a safe environment or a safe universe or a metaverse mm -hmm. because other people are there doing the same thing and talk about crowd think. How many times you take somebody into yeah. the metaverse and then all of a sudden they see all, everyone else and they say, Oh, this is a real thing. And it's like, yeah. And you're, and eventually you're, I mean, you're going to have money and currency that you've earned inside the metaverse, like living next to Snoop Dogg and everybody else. Yeah. And it's going to be exchanged just as real. The only difference is, is that, you know, um, in the metaverse is, you know, it's, it's, um, it's product choice, right? Somebody loves an Apple phone. Somebody loves, you know, an Android. Well, somebody will buy anything in the metaverse and somebody wants to go to 7-Eleven and get a Slurpee. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah, it's going to be interesting so, yes, to see it. It's viable. I, but yeah. I, do you think it's too early or do you, I mean, let's say for example, I mean, really what could you open in the metaverse? I mean, uh, I guess you could do an e-commerce. Uh, it ought to be e-commerce yeah. anyways, right? You're not selling anything I, tangible I, in there. Yeah. I, I guess you, know? you could open whatever you wanted to in there as long as the business transactions stayed in the metaverse. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, you think about the metaverse and you draw a fence around it, right? So if you're in the United States, right, you have the you right GDP of the US. Yeah. So you're going to have a GDP derivative economics, mm -hmm. right, for a metaverse. Inside the metaverse, eventually, we, we don't see it now, but it'll happen just, you know, through economics, you're going to see a GDP inside a metaverse. And that's everything that it's producing. It's gross domestic, pro, gross domestic product inside the metaverse. Now, inside of that, you're going to have no different than we have now. You're going to have big players that are there, and they're selling everything from, you know, life insurance to, you know, annuities. Mm -hmm. You know, they're having all their conversations. They're selling you virtual space. Right. They may be selling you line time, you know, inside the metaverse for certain events. Um, inside of that, they may have the... Um, you know, Adele or Billie Eilish, you know, uh, avatar pre-recorded concert one and only, and you're going to get your $300 tickets to go to that. And then you're going to have your own little private, you know, booth over here to do it. And NFL and EA game sports will be on there to, to go to yeah. certain games. Then you're going to have a gambling clinic and a casino that sits inside the metaverse. Going to a virtual there, casino. You're going yeah. to do chips. And so you can, you can visualize and see that all of these things are there. They're just, they're manifestations or representations of, of things that we already do. Um, because well, at the end of the day, the customer, the client, all of us, we decide what's valuable and what's not. Yeah. We, right? we, we need There's a lot of things like, you know, people that don't drink, they wouldn't give you 50 cents for a bottle of bourbon. That's right. Don't drink. Yeah. We right? need to Somebody else will say, I'll give you $1,000 for that. <laughs> yeah. Even though MSRP is like 100 bucks. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, now we're talking about our world, right? <laughs>
Yeah. 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 It's, it's almost like you need to figure out how to be like the Bugsy Siegel of uh, Las Vegas in the metaverse. Right. You know, the guy that started that in Las Vegas. Yeah. Without all the violence, Matt. Yeah. 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 And all the dead bodies in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, one of the many advantages of the metaverse. Well, that's what Facebook's (laughs) doing, right? Mark Zuckerberg's doing that. That's really what he's doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're going down that road. And and, um, again, if you, you know, but this, this goes back to business. Um, a lot of people see things that take place or transpire mm-hmm. um, and you see them on the TV and you get the highlight reel. You have to always start off in a business to understand what's the representative investment cash flow, and carrying cost of the business, mm-hmm. right? right? There's a lot of things that theoretically are great, but they take a minimal amount of capital to even dream about getting involved in. So either you have to bring sweat equity in through hard skill sets or contacts or network, or you have to bring in hard cash, or you have to be able to raise hard cash to make those things viable. Mm-hmm. So the great thing about, you know, the, the metaverse or any other little thing that's coming along crypto, you don't have to be, you don't, you, you don't have to like cash it all in. But what you do need is you need a base knowledge, just tiptoe in start to learn it, start to feel it, start to see it in a way that you don't see, mm-hmm. right? Talk to people that are doing, um, you know, either relatively well or they have a head start on you and learn about it. And through that process, that distillation of acclimating yourself to a different view, a different world, different mm-hmm. way of thinking, mm-hmm. then then let the business ideas come to you, Yeah, you know? So, you, you can't just look in a magazine or see something on TV and say, oh, yeah, I can do that. No, yeah, you, that's you, a have, nightmare. You, you have to look at the underlying structures of what are the what are the barriers to entry? What are the costs to entry? And then what are the carrying costs to a clear path to cash? Because yeah. at some point, that's where the rubber meets the road. And you have to hit all of those intervals. And if you don't, it's going to be, you know, a really hard lesson and, you know, probably a quick life for your business. I got a kind of a, kind of a pivot question. You know, I get this question a lot and maybe you can help answer this. If I'm a 1099 where I am a salesperson or a 1099 employee, am I better off starting my own business and flowing my 1099 through my business to me? Or am I better off just being the 1099 employee? What's your, what's your uh, take on that? So if you're a 1099, right? So you, you can be W2 or 1099 and then there's, um, so if you are independent contractor status, right, um, there are some, you know, legislative laws that have been passed in the past few years under get, uh, for the gig economy. Mm-hmm. So there are some things that open up to you as a gig worker as, and as a 1099, essentially that's what you are. You're, 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 you're independent and then you have to go to the marketplace for benefits, right, for retirement, for health insurance, for all of those things, um, asset liability, all, all the other goodies. So um, as a 1099, um, I used to know that ratio, but I mean, if you were, if you had a job as a 1099 and you had a job as a W-2 and it was the exact same job with the exact same amount of remuneration or pay annually, you're going to earn out about 15, 16% more money as a 1099 because you're going to be writing off all of the expenses that you incur to run as a 1099. 
Um, as a 1099, um, I would still form an LLC. Okay. Um, I would still, you know, get as much as I can through there. I would open, um, you know, a SEP, uh, self-employee, you know, pension program. You can do SEPs, you can do, you know, IRAs, but a SEP basically allows you to put 20% of whatever the profit is in the business away in a tax deferred account. Um, so you fund your own retirement. And then if you do that, and then you put another six or $7,000 in an IRA, and then you do a couple of other little things, you know, you can put, you know, 40, 50, $60,000 a year um, of tax deferred income away. Really? With a SEP? Yeah. Yep. So you would start, so you'd start a business if you're a 1099, run it through there and then generate a SEP. Yeah, I would, I would still do an LLC, um, little simple LLC. And um, then you go to, you can go to Fidelity, Charles Schwab, there's a whole bunch and say, hey, this is my business. This is what I do. Uh, I want to maximize my retirement account. Um, please let me know what you have. And they have a basket of stuff. Right. So they have insurance. They have, you know, um, there's, I mean, like just, I'm thinking right now, probably four or five great structures to defer taxes and to increase your retirement and then inside of that, there's all sorts of stuff wherever your municipality or state is, um, you know, go to like, you know, floridastate.gov right. and type in, you know, independent 10, 1099 contractor, what benefits do the states allow and what type of programs and incubators and innovation labs do you have? Because they have all sorts of stuff right. that you can go after. Wow, that's, that's great information. So I know we're, we've been we've been talking for a while. I could probably talk for another hour and a half, two hours. Now. Yeah, absolutely. We'll do it again. Uh, no, definitely. Hope so. So let, let me ask you this then. So if it's if, kind of a lot to put a bow on. I know it is. It really is, right? <laughs> I, so, well, hey, that's business, right? Yeah, I'll tell you. you I know, know. your head's swimming. You know, yeah. your. I mean, well, I mean, I could ask more questions. Business. We could be here for another hour, and I don't want to, t- you know, take too much of your time, but yeah. Go ahead. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Platinum North and what you guys are about. Go ahead and give us a little bit kind of, you know, sure what you guys are doing and just a little bit about Platinum North. Yeah, I'll get the promo reel. So we're based in Destin, Florida, um, and we do business brokerage and real estate advisory. So uh, essentially, um, if you think about it, um, we're, you know, we're, we're an e-harmony. We, we, we have a buyer bank and a seller bank, and we try to do our best to match buyers and sellers um, at its most, you know, simplified form. Um, inside uh, of any brokerage that you, you, you would go to, um, you, know, you know, people always swallow when you're like, well, you know, what do you guys charge? Well, it's, it's, we, we, we charge 10% for the sale of the business. Uh, well, uh, you know, and then they start, you know, I'm in the, you know, Indian bazaar and we're negotiating like, no, this is, this is what we do. Um, there's a scale, you know, we sell businesses, you know, north of a hundred million dollars and as small as, you know, a a million dollars, you know, um, there's a sweet spot in there for everybody. But at the end of the day, um, and I had this conversation, you know, just, uh, two days ago with a guy who's been in business for 25 years, great business doing a little over 1.1 million in EBITDA or seller discretionary earnings, which is just simply, that's how much money he's made every year after the business costs. Um, We basically work on deal structures. So when you, when you sell a business or buy a business and you're in it, you see different ways to, to, to build a bridge um, that an individual seller doing a, a, I want to sell it by myself, or I don't want to pay somebody for their professional advice 
And which is always the, if you ever find yourself saying that, just stop yourself. (laughs) I mean, that, that would be just like saying, you know, doc, I'm really don't want to pay you for the surgery. You just tell me how to do it. I'm going to go home and do it myself. I can replace my own knee. Yeah. You would never do it. Right. I mean, you would never do it, but people in some of the biggest, if not the biggest transactions of their life will get wrapped around the axle on an insignificant amount of money. And I'll tell everybody, write down the number you think you're going to get by yourself. Just write it down. You go put it in the lockbox. I'm going to write a number. We're going to put it in the lockbox. So we will not open these until I bring you a qualified buyer for your business. And then when we close and everything's done, let's open them up and let's look at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a, a big piece of it is um, helping people understand um, what the process looks like, walking them through it, um, galvanizing, you know, their intent. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people that want to sell a business or buy a business, um, you know, the longer the process, they can get a little bit right. more wishy-washy. And, 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 and the seller or the buyer, in our case, believe like, oh, God, you know, like we're, we're there. Like, look, I can spend my time anywhere. We've got a big funnel of people coming in. So the only way I get paid is if you actually win. If I can't sell your business or find you a business to buy, I get paid nothing for my time, right? Yeah, right. Or my associate's time or my infrastructure mm-hmm. or legal or the marketing package and so on and so forth. So basically what we try to do is match up our buyers and sellers and we build out profiles on people. Um, sellers can go in and, you know, this is what I want to do and we'll talk through them and I'll make sure that they want to do it. A buyer comes in and says, you know, I have this amount of money. I have been pre-approved for this. And so here, you know, I, I need a business between two and $5 million. Right. Um, we do SBA, we have several banks. So we're an SBA preferred lender. Um, we don't lend the money, but our valuation packages, when we go into value a business, we'll pass the sniff test and the banks will fund the deal based on the valuations that we mm-hmm. create for a potential buyer or seller. Yeah. Um, so, so, and then so, we do all sorts of stuff. Um, you know, we connect the dots for people, um, when they're, moving out of a business and they want to go into a Delaware statutory trust, a DST or a 1031. We don't do that. We farm that out to other people that are far better than we are at doing it. Um, But basically um, if you just walk through it, Sam wants to sell his business, calls Steve, says, Steve, I want to sell my business. Great. I say, okay, let's talk about it. I'll do an introductory phone call. I'll walk through and I'm kind of pressure testing and pushing your points of like, why do you want to sell? How good are your financials? You know, how many sisters, daughters, and kids right. are on the payroll <laughs> that don't work in the business, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, yeah. because what people that do it on their own, the DYIs don't understand, if you can't recast financials, if you can't tell a story, if you can't back it up with, with, with real hard numbers, um, you're not going to get a buyer. And that's why eight out of 10 businesses that list don't sell. Yeah, that's an interesting figure. And, and we talked about this briefly, you know, in the past to, you know, so you talk about, you know, starting a business, the type of business that makes the most sense uh, as far as a formation. And then, you know, throughout the business life cycle, you know, things that make sense to and not to do. So when you're exiting, uh, you know, when you're talking to people that think that they may be interested or, you know, or have thought about exiting, I mean, how do you, how do you consult them? You know, whether they feel like they're ready to sell, they have their books in order, don't have their books in order. I mean, what does that, what does that 
conversation look like, or maybe what have you experienced in your, uh, you know, personally? Yeah. So, so what, what I try to do is when you look at a business, the first thing we do out of the gate is we do evaluation. We, 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 we never ask, I don't say how much do you want to sell your business for? Mm. It's immaterial. Um, you know, people think whatever they think. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I bring a qualified buyer to buy a business. The market sets the price. Mm. So sometimes you're in a hot, like right now, certain businesses, the multiples are literally, you know, you can get a three or four X multiple above historical norms for a business now. So in that case, you probably want to sell now because <laughs> you're probably never going to get, I, I will probably never be able to bring you a buyer that's willing to pay this amount of money. Mm -hmm. But typically what I do, um, we do evaluation and to do that, we get a balance sheet and, and financial statements, right? Last three years are great. Um, and then we have to do some math magic because of 2020 with COVID and we have to smooth some stuff out. And then sometimes they're really clean. They're buttoned up financials. Um, maybe they have a good CPA and attorney. They're really good. Some people mix and muddle personal and everything right. else. And they have a lot of things that are coming out of the company that makes the company not look profitable. Mm -hmm. We have to tease that information out, recast financials, build those up and then do a promo package or a business package. Um, but that's kind of my first um, sniff test. Um, and I'll spend typically, you know, a couple of hours um, on that meeting and that conversation. And then I'll get a feel for, is it a business I can move? Yeah. We're, yeah. we're a little different, um, you know, than some brokers. Um, our, our litmus test is we, we, we only do 90 day listings. Most brokerages are a 12 months or six months. Hmm. Um, if I can't look at the business and do evaluation, and if I can't move it in 90 days, move on to the next guy. We'll eat our losses yeah. because our funnel's basically built on a 90 day model for looking quarters. So um, that's a little different. Um, it puts more pressure on us um, to have really good qualified buyers. When does that clock start ticking? It, uh, after the, after the valuation are done and the financials are verified um, and we get a signature to list. Mm. Interesting. So, you know, but, but between listing and, and LOI, um, typically it's 90 day for us. That's not the norm. So anybody on this, you know, podcast, but most of the time it's going to be six to 12 months because you, you, you're going to have, you know, five to $15,000 in your marketing package by the time you're done. And you got lots of people touch it. You've got all the labor, you've got the review. We do the bank review. We do the SBA verification, um, the preferred lenders. I mean, so you have to go through the process. So the, the, the more buttoned up the process, the, the more efficient it is. But at the end of the day, I don't want to sit on a business and market it for 12 months. Because if that happened, I made a mistake. And that's my bad, not the seller. I, 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 I did not give you a valid price or I didn't know the business well enough to know that this thing's not going to move. Right. It's, it's not going to, you know, at, at, if you want it to move quickly, then this is your price. If you're willing to hang on and do some things, then rather than a listing agreement, let's talk about, let's set this thing up for sale. And 18 months from now, we'll do a listing, but I'll give you a roadmap. And now the consulting hat will come on 
and we'll go in and we will either quarterback and give you a plan ready to go do these things or we will sit in and help you on a quarterly basis get there so that you're ready in 18 months to maximize your value on a multiple basis but you've got to know that going in and that's why the valuation is so important right. and then also tagging the uh, mark to market um you know current interest in a business some businesses they may be great, but you can't get anybody to buy. Right. right? I mean, too niche here. Yeah, because because they're very specific. They're right. very niche. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I'll tell you, Wesley, this has been great. Uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us on our podcast. Uh, look thank you to for having me, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. Hey, uh, after that well or 12, you, yeah. I can't wait for the next round. Well, uh, I was going to just say after that well or 12, the beginning, and maybe we should, uh, you know, turn it around. You send us one. Or yeah, you send us a well or 12. <laughs> I, I, I will. If I podcast it, I, I, I'll, I'll send you something fun anyway. How I about that? It. No, I'm just. Now, let's, let's do this again. This has been really, really educational. Uh, I can't thank you enough for joining. Uh, we really, really, really enjoyed this. Um, now you yeah. guys are doing great. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy you're doing this, and I hope this reaches plenty of ears because, believe it or not, this is the the this is the waterfall. You know, the drop that starts the waterfall. Yep. With one drop, th- th- this is what it is. And if you can just save a handful of people from themselves early on, yeah. Um, it really does make a difference, and mm-hmm. that's why I say I like connecting the dots. Because it's this is one of those things where a lot of people don't realize it, but this is a community that you live and thrive in, and you have an opportunity to do some good every day. Yeah, right? I mean, and it's tangible. It's you, you. You can really, you know, even if the people you're helping don't know it themselves, um, you know it only because you've been down that road. So I think what you guys are doing is phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, very, you much. very much. Yeah. Well, until next time, Steve, we really appreciate it. Uh, and yeah, and cheers, my friend. Cheers. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. 100 years, boys. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening to the How To Business Show. And stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes. From all of us here, keep listening and keep sipping. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like to know more about our real estate and business services, check out the links in the description, or you can email us at info at capitalconnectus.com. That's info at capitalconnectus.com. We will be posting content weekly, so make sure to tune in to all of our upcoming episodes and see you all next time.